It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, am I too bitter to be better? Coming up in this episode, bitterness doesn't call attention to itself. It doesn't even give you a reason to have any second thoughts about its presence. What it does do is provoke dissatisfaction, which can lead to destruction. How do we prevent all of this? Can we learn to eliminate bitterness from our hearts? Now, here's Rick, Jonathan, and Julie. Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host for over 20 years. Glad to be here. And Julie, a longtime CQ contributor, is also with us. Great topic today. Jonathan, what's our theme scripture for today's episode? Ephesians 4.31 from the New Living Translation. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. It's easy to live with bitterness. Now, I'm not suggesting that it's comfortable, but I am suggesting that being bitter towards one or many people or circumstances is considered acceptable. We know it's acceptable because if we pay attention, we will see that the harsh and angry angry results of a bitter temperament are widely encouraged. Bitterness can enter at every turn and enters easily and stealthily. Once in, it quietly takes root, masked as what we might consider justifiable anger or a justifiable reaction to wrong or simply a justifiable defense of oneself. And then it grows quietly and under the surface, so we're comfortable with it until one day we wake up and bitterness rules our life. This is a major task that we have to look out for. To describe bitterness, we would say because it is comfortable, it's easy to live with. But it's dangerous because it reformats the way we look at the world. It changes the way we see things. It's constricting. In a bitter heart, there's no joy, no creativity, because resentment displaces everything else. Bitterness is corrosive. It kills friendships and relationships, and it's not comfortable to be with a bitter person. It's lonely and easily creeps in when we've been wronged by someone or think we've been wronged by someone, or just that things didn't turn out the way we hoped they would. Bitterness is complex because it combines anger, sadness, and often disappointment, so it's really hard to root out and get rid of. Let's begin with some New Testament words for bitter. The first Greek word means to embitter literally or figuratively. Our example is found in Colossians 3, 19. This is from the King James Version. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. The next Greek word means accrued acridity, especially poison, literally or figuratively. We don't often use the word acridity, so I looked it up, and in vocabulary.com, it means extreme bitterness, the quality of being sharply disagreeable in language or tone. An example of this word is found in Acts 8.23, King James Version. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. The third Greek word for bitter means through the idea of piercing, sharp, pungent, that is acrid, literally or figuratively. That word is used in James 3.14 in the King James Version, 
But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Okay, so between all the things you said before the Greek words and the scriptural definitions, I'm completely, totally depressed. Thanks, guys. <laughs> it's a great way to start. And what this does is it lays out the depth of the seriousness of the subject of bitterness. This is not just something you take lightly. This is something we examine with clarity to make sure that we can understand what's happening to us and how we can scripturally change it, attack it, put it away, do something different. So we're going to examine bitterness in a, in a broadening approach. We're going to examine it specifically from four different ways. Julie, let's, let's run through those. Well, first, we have a firm but general warning against bitterness, and we're going to look at Ephesians 4.31 from the New Living Translation. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slanders, as well as all types of evil behavior. All right, so that first one just gives us a sense of you've got to understand that bitterness exists and you need to get rid of it. Okay, that's, that's general, but it's profound once we get into it. What's the next one? Uh, we're going to look at a more detailed warning about how bitterness is expressed in James 3, 8 to 11. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men. We have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? So here we've got the sense of how bitterness comes out of us. And this is going to be a very enlightening portion of looking at and understanding bitterness so, again, we can get it back under control. What's next, Julie? Third, we're going to have a sad Old Testament example of the grip that bitterness holds from within. We'll look at Hebrews 12, 15 to 16 in order to refer back to the Old Testament. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up causing trouble, and by it may be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. So Esau is singled out uh, as an example of bitterness. And it's a very interesting story that we'll get to a little bit later in the podcast. What's fourth? Uh, fourth and finally, we're going to see a vivid New Testament example of the rotten poison that bitterness is. That's in Acts 8, 22 to 23 to start us off. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Bitterness is a very effective poison because we can easily have this form of selfishness lurking within us and not even recognize it. Yeah, and, and all of those scriptures that we touched on, we went through them very quickly. We're coming back to every single one of them as we go through our, our study on bitterness today to really understand what makes it tick and where it can be vulnerable. And that's the key. We want to find bitterness's vulnerability so we can get rid of it in our lives. So we're going to go through these things one at a time and try to take this apart and make it understandable. So Julie, let's get back to our first point. Okay, so that's where we're given a firm but general warning against bitterness. So the context of our th context of our theme verse is the Apostle Paul encouraging the Ephesian Christians to live new lives. Well, this theme verse about bitterness is later in the context. In other words, doesn't at the very beginning you don't hear anything about bitterness. It's a theme that the apostle is actually leading up to. So as we read through the earlier verses, keep the thought of bitterness in mind and see how it fits in. And we're going to start by, by, by labeling this group of scriptures from Ephesians 4, 21 to 32, by saying that bitterness 
rationalizes sinful behavior to appear righteous. That's what bitterness does. It rationalizes sinful behavior to appear righteousness, righteous. Jonathan, let's get started with Ephesians uh, 4, 21 to 23. And this comes from the New Living Translation. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. All right, so notice that it's talking about your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Keep that in mind, because that's where bitterness has its home. And the Apostle is saying, instead, the Spirit needs to renew your thoughts. You need to change from that. And so when we think about bitterness in this context, bitterness can create excuses to fulfill desire and rationalize deceptive behavior. See, that's what bitterness does. It creates excuses for us to get the kinds of things we kind of really want inside, and those things are not good. These are two themes of a sinful life, the the fulfilling of desire and the rationalizing of deceptive behavior. And these two themes can be themes of a bitterness-driven existence. So when you're looking for ways to get what you want, when you're looking for ways to put deceptive behavior in place, you very well may be fighting with a lot of bitterness and not even realizing it. So let's continue in Ephesians 4, verse 25. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. All right. Don't tell lies. Now that sounds like a simple thing. Tell the truth. Bitterness gives lying a rationalized reason to be used. Mm-hmm. It, just, it just makes lying sensible, and it's wrong. So I said earlier that bitterness reformats how we look at the world, and we become too skewed in our view of the problem and the people involved that we can't trust our own thoughts that they'll be godly, let alone our words or actions. Bitterness wears a mask of rationalizations and justifications. So we're essentially lying to ourselves in order to keep that bitter, fermented anger fed. Because, you know, sometimes anger feels good. And Rick and Julie, often we don't even see it as being bitter. We see it as this person did this and this to me, or this wasn't the way my life was supposed to end up. So we build up on a disappointment and anger and resentment until we see things in a poisonous way. And after a while, we might not even remember why we feel like this. Well, let's return to Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. So it's interesting, Jonathan, all those things you were describing, you just answered in verse 26 and 27. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, you have to deal with your anger. Anger can be an important tool, but if we allow anger to run rampant, especially fed by bitterness, we are in, in big trouble. Bitterness easily provokes anger, and that kind of anger that's provoked by bitterness, that is self-defeating. You don't win any battles with that kind of anger. You just defeat yourself. So we've got a lot of difficult things happening in these verses that bitterness has very much to do with. Paul now focuses on what to do. These are better ways to act, not bitter ways to act. Ephesians 4 verses 28 through 30. If you are a thief, quit stealing. 
Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Okay, so if you're a thief, stop it. In other words, take what you're doing and change what you're doing. And this is a key to managing bitterness. Stop doing one thing and start doing something else. Use your hands for good productive things and then give generously. Then give from within yourself. See, bitterness is trying to take within yourself. The apostle is saying, then give from within yourself. Let's go to verse 29 because another piece comes into play. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. How many of us use foul and abusive language by habit? The apostle is saying, any word that comes out from you should be encouraging. So part of bitterness can be reflected in the language that we generally use. Keep that in mind as a Christian because we want to lift ourselves up to a higher standard, not a bitter standard. And verse 30. For verse 30, we'll read it in the New American Standard Version. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And continuing with verse 31 in the New Living Translation also. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slanders, as well as all types of evil behavior. So here it's talking about getting rid of bitterness, and then it lists things, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as types of evil behavior. Perhaps, perhaps the apostle is saying that bitterness, he's saying get rid of bitterness first, then rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Maybe bitterness is a seed for rage, anger, harsh words, and slander to grow from. That's how bad bitterness can be. And while harsh words and other translations say loud or rude behavior, harsh words could be a symptom. It doesn't appear in all cases. So we can be bitter and no one would know it. Hmm. We could have, hmm, let me think of this, asymptomatic bitterness <laughs> making us spiritually sick. Yeah, yeah. And, and when something's asymptomatic, nobody knows it's there, but you still have the disease. And bitterness is just like that. Let's conclude our lesson from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Instead, be kind to each other. Okay, so instead, be kind to each other instead of having rage. Tender-hearted. Instead of being angry. Forgive one another. Instead of using harsh words. Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. In other words, focus on the fact that you've been forgiven instead of slandering others. Focus on the forgiveness factor. So the apostle is showing us how to replace the things that bitterness brings into our lives. And Rick, what we're seeing here is bitterness being exposed as to what it does. Yeah, yeah. And what it does is incredibly damaging and incredibly silent and incredibly deep and it needs a lot of attention. So learning to be better, not bitter. Jonathan, what do we have? Bitterness doesn't need big reasons to exist. Rather, it simply needs a heart that feels hurt or betrayed or forgotten or misunderstood. Our first learning step is to examine our own hearts for these symptoms. So we can be bitter without these big, big reasons. And bitterness with a small reason is just as dangerous as bitterness with a very big reason. So bitterness is a very busy characteristic, considering that it does not focus on calling attention to itself. Once we have begun to identify the bitterness in our own hearts, 
what are we supposed to do with it? <laughs> Identification really is an enormous first step, even though it may seem like a reason to get upset with ourselves. Our next step is to realize that the most common ways our bitterness can be expressed is in words and actions. Now, these are the most common ways. Here is where the work of overcoming bitterness really begins. You have to start to work somewhere. And once you realize, uh-oh, I may have bitterness in me, now the work starts. What am I going to do about it? So, Julie, where do we go next? So, remember, first we were given a firm but general warning about bitterness. Get rid of all bitterness. That sounds good, but how do we do that? So, we're going to move on to the second point where we have a more detailed warning about how bitterness is expressed. All right. So, bitterness creates in us fountains of poison. Now, now you let, use that as a visual, a visual, fountains of poison. Just like water from a well comes from a hidden source, our bitterness also comes from the hidden harboring of negative reactions. Fountains of poison. Water from a well, you don't see the well. You don't see the well. It comes from way down deep. You know, when they dug the well at my house many years ago, we needed to dig a well. Most of the wells in the neighborhood that I live in are about 125 to 150, 175 feet deep. So we figured we budgeted for a well to be like everybody else's. But no, not our well. They were digging and digging and digging, and they had to dig down 200 feet and no water, and 300 feet and no water, and 400 feet and no water. And it's ka in my own brain. And it ended up being 505 feet to get to water. The point is, it was deep. Nobody knows. I don't know where those streams are, but the it, it's, it comes from way down deep in this unfathomable place. And you say, well, how is it possible? That's how bitterness can work. It comes from deep inside of us, and we don't even know where or why. But boy, can it produce something bad in our lives. James chapter 3. Uh, Jonathan, let's go verses 8 through 12. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth both curse, blessing and cursing. My brethren, these, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs, nor can salt water produce fresh. Well, Rick, we will produce what comes from within our hearts. If there are roots of bitterness, they will show. Yeah, yeah, they will. They will absolutely show. And that's the thing to be aware of. And the roots are deep inside, and you have to pay attention to what kinds of things are coming from those roots. So, as we go through this particular segment, we're going to do several bitterness tests. We're going to ask a question, put it on the table to say, hey, does this apply to me in any way? And does that mean I may have some bitterness? So the first bitterness test, first question, am I prone to giving empty praise and harsh criticism? When the diagnosis is bitterness, what symptoms should we recognize? Are we expressing bitterness in ways that we didn't realize? So here's a telltale sign. Praise can be phony or it can be genuine. We can give constructive criticism or it can be harsh and unforgiving, bitter. Perhaps we're giving praise that isn't heartfelt or maybe we're purposely withholding it when it would be warranted. And on the other hand, if our criticism of others is harsh and biting, we might be bitter. And we need to be able to ask ourselves that question. Am I bitter by giving empty praise? Just saying the words to cover the base. 
or is my criticism just unduly harsh? And if it is unduly harsh, why? Folks, these are things that are very typical, very common, which means that we have typical common bitterness that we need to attend to. So let's take a scriptural focus on this. James gives us a remedy in James 3, 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. The phrase at the end of that verse is so powerful. Show your good behavior in your deeds and in the gentleness of wisdom. See, wisdom doesn't need a club. Wisdom doesn't need threats. It doesn't need power. It just needs to be able to be expressed with clarity and, and, and righteousness. And the gentleness of wisdom is a dramatic way to undo bitterness. You can't have the gentleness of wisdom if you're working on a bitter issue. It just isn't going to work. James's remedy is based on the very foundation of Christian living. That is Christian love. We see that in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if I am saying the most eloquent words you could possibly hear, but I don't have love, I'm just a noisemaker drawing attention. That's all I am. Jonathan, let's go down 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7, to show what love actually is. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Whenever I hear these scriptures, I'm usually at a wedding. So right now I find myself looking around for cake. Um, it also reminds me of that scripture you read earlier, Colossians 3.19, where husbands don't be bitter towards your wives. So remember, special warning to the husbands out there. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll take that as a, as a good warning. Thank you for that. But, you know, here, here's the thing about Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13.4-7. There is nothing even remotely bitter in any of those verses. These are better not bitter. This is the way to handle others. And if we have a hard time handling others these ways, maybe we've got bitterness that's standing in our way. So you got to think about that. There's a lot to this. Let's get back to James chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. So bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, these things are lies against the truth. And so here is the, 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 the challenge that we have inside of ourselves. We can be lying against the truth while we proclaim to stand for the truth. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. And if we have too much bitterness, we get stuck in the lies and stuck in the deception and stuck in the hurt, and we can't find the truth and God can't use us the way he, he would be able to if we could put those things aside. So let's ask another bitterness test question. Do I struggle to welcome or celebrate the successes of someone who has previously hurt me? Mm, this one's tough because, you know, it's our natural inclination to root for the good guy and feel good and maybe even smug when the bad guy gets what's coming to him. So when we believe that someone has wronged us, it can really feel good to see them struggling and failing after all, they deserve it. What comes around goes around. I'm vindicated. And we feel bad, though, when that person is successful. 
or it looks like God is blessing them. I mean, after what they did to me, why should they get away with it and be so happy? Ugh, this is bitterness. Hmm. And we can feel bitterness because of people who haven't even wronged us. I found a great quote by a man named Joseph Heller. There is no disappointment so numbing as someone no better than you achieving more. <laughs> and again, bitterness creeps in and we don't even know it. Folks, we need to pay really close attention here. So we need to get a different perspective now. Well, let's consider another scriptural focus. Ananias, the disciple who baptized Saul of Tarsus, Acts 9, 17 through 19. So Ananias departed and entered the house and after laying hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. But who's being bitter? I don't hear any bitterness in there. Well, think about this. Ananias had every right to be bitter towards Saul, an enemy of Christians. His friend Stephen was stoned to death at Saul's word. Others were imprisoned by him. When someone we love has been unjustly hurt, we want to lash out. But that's not what Ananias did. He was welcoming to his new brother, and he celebrated his conversion to Christ. That's true love and obedience to doing God's will. And, and, and that's the point of this scripture being here. You, you're right. There is no bitterness here, but there's every, there's every justifiable reason to have it. We could all line up and say, Saul of Tarsus, bad guy. I don't want him to succeed. He's done lots of damage. And that's true. That's absolutely true. But because he was converted and Ananias believed the words of Jesus, he went to him with open arms without an ounce of bitterness and proclaimed him brother. That's how we should be looking at this. So it seems like he did better, not bitter, and that's because he was spiritually mature. And that's the key. He was spiritually mature. Now, he had a question. When, 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 the, when the vision came to him to go see Saul of Tarsus, he's like, and I'm going to paraphrase, uh, Lord, you mean this Saul of Tarsus? And what now? Yeah, yeah and, and he was assured, and he took the assurance, and he took the maturity, and that's why he was the one chosen, because how many of us would be able to walk into that circumstance with that kind of grace? Not many. He had no bitterness, and that's why God blessed him to bring the wonderful Apostle Paul to Christianity. Let's get back to James 3, verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. And behind jealousy and selfish ambition, you know what often exists? Bitterness. In beneath it, quietly underneath the surface, there's bitterness about this person, that experience I should have had, they couldn't, why not, on and on and on and on and on. So we have all kinds of internal motivations to, to lash out with these things. And so again, next bitterness test, next, next bitterness test question. Do I frequently resort to passive aggressive behavior? All right, so the Mayo Clinic defines this as a pattern of indirectly expressing negative feelings instead of openly addressing them. So there's a disconnect between what a passive aggressive person says and what they do. 
Um, some examples, you might agree to something for someone, but then show that you're angry or resentful by not doing the task or purposely doing it wrong. Outwardly, you say you're going to cooperate, but it's with a hostile attitude because inwardly you feel cheated or underappreciated. If I say to my friend, oh, I love your new dress. I wish I had one, but I'm too skinny for that style. You both don't understand that, but all the women listening do. Um, or I wish I could afford a new car like yours, but all my money goes to helping my grandparents. Or, wow, the way you eat, you think you were raised in a barn. Just kidding. So when someone calls them out on this, the passive aggressive person might just reply with, oh, you're just too sensitive. Kidding. Not kidding. Sorry. Not sorry. This type of behavior could be a sign of bitterness. And folks, a lot of times we like to make a joke of it so we can stab somebody and laugh and we justify right. it. And bitterness takes our Christianity and it sacrifices it for our humanity. You've got to ask yourself, am I willing to make that sacrifice? Because that's what that kind of behavior is doing. As a Christian, am I willing to go down that road? Here's another scriptural focus from James as he gives us perspective. James three seventeen and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what we have here is this wisdom from above. What is this wisdom from above? It's all kinds of good things, but it eventually becomes a peacemaking wisdom. The gentleness of wisdom is a peacemaking wisdom. Bitterness doesn't know how to make peace. Bitterness makes pieces out of things. Jesus is a peacemaker. This is what we want to have. And that's why it's not enough to just have knowledge. You have Knowledge is great. Knowledge is great because you can understand things and put things in order. But wisdom applies them to real life. And the gentleness of wisdom is that of peacemaking. And we just did a great podcast on wisdom, episode 1202, called Is Anyone Listening to the Wisdom of the Bible? It was about uncovering true wisdom, how it works, and why it's so rare. So just type in 1202 in the search bar at christianquestions.com or at the Christian Questions app, and go ahead and give it a listen. So let's go a little bit further with this and look at Jesus' own example uh, in, in terms of this scriptural focus, Jonathan, that you talked about, the, the perspective that James gives us. Matthew five forty four to 46. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Well, if we're to love our enemies, that's the level we have to rise to. Here's what it looks like. You have to struggle to get to that point. Here's what Jesus expects of us and where he wants us to be. Here's the goal, loving our enemies and having no bitterness with anyone. And boy, that is not an easy thing. When we say have no bitterness with anyone, that's what Jesus had. You look at his life, especially the end of his life, and you watch how there was no bitterness toward anyone and how he died for those who hurt him, who crucified him, who tormented him, who lied against him, who tortured him. He died for every one of them. There was not a shred of bitterness there. That's our example. So Jonathan, let's wrap this up. Learning to be better, not bitter. What do we have? Bitterness in all forms is ugly. 
to see it manifest itself in our thoughts, words, and actions is to see our lives reflect the darkness of the devil and not the light of God. Is my life reflecting the love of Jesus or devilish frustration when I interact with others? That's a hard question to ask ourselves. Is my life reflecting the love of Jesus or devilish frustration when I interact with others? Ask that question boldly to yourself and see where it brings you. Well, the good news here is that bitterness can not only be identified, it can be put in a position to be starved. Seeing bitterness take over ourselves is bad, but what about when it takes over those around us? Once bitterness has taken root in our hearts, it can easily poison our words. Now we become walking contradictions, speaking both blessing and cursing. We now are liable to pollute both our physical and spiritual environments with unspiritual and devilish attitudes. Rather than witnessing to the gospel, our lives are witnessing against it. And this, it really comes down to that. We can say the right words, but is my life witnessing to the gospel what I do, or is what I do witnessing against the gospel? Choose. So thinking of pure versus polluted water, you know, we're all growing in a contaminated state, but we strive to keep our thoughts, words, and actions pure. In the field of environmental risk, we measure certain contamination in drinking water in parts per billion. So for example, in the United States, you can have 0.01 micrograms per liter or 10 parts per billion of arsenic in drinking water. Anything other than that tiny, tiny amount is considered too contaminated to drink. And in many cases, it's just impossible to have zero parts per billion of contamination. The more contaminated we are by bitterness, the less spiritually healthy we are, and it affects negatively those around us. So it ends up being a very large task. And as we talk about bitterness throughout this entire podcast, folks, I hope you're understanding the job. And the job is to identify it so we can know what it is we're bitter about and, and look to starve that by changing the things that we do, that we say, and that we think. Even if we can't get to the bitterness right away, we change those other things and we work our way backwards if we can't start with the bitterness. So Julie, what's, what's our next focus here? Well, remember, first we had that general warning, get rid of all bitterness. Then we looked at some of the ways bitterness is expressed. And now we're going to look at a sad Old Testament example of the grip that bitterness holds from within. And this is that example we first started to talk about with Esau. He's an example of bitterness expressed in quiet and growing anger. And most of us can relate to that. The picture here is nurturing a root that corrupts all around it. We remember that Esau sold his birthright, his inheritance as the firstborn, for a bowl of stew. And his own interpretation of this event was very different. We drop into the account after Esau finds out that he lost his father's blessing as well. That's Genesis 27, 34 to 36. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? 
Yeah, but as his brother, Jacob should have just graciously given him a bowl of food. His brother was hungry. I think he took advantage of Esau in a moment of weakness. That doesn't seem fair. Okay, you're right. It doesn't. But the fact of the matter is, when we look at the scripture, Esau made a legal, conducted a legal transaction with Jacob. He said, give me the food. I'll give you my birthright. So he engaged in the legal transaction, and then he said, well, he took away my birthright. No, you gave it away. And in a court of law, you're the one who made the choice. So we can say that, you know, Jacob, look, wrong can be attributed to Jacob. I'm not saying it can't. But Esau here is not taking responsibility for making that legitimate trade. He's putting all the blame on Jacob, and that's simply not true. And that's where bitterness comes in. Now that the consequences of his actions are revealed, Esau dives into living in bitterness. And I've got a great quote for that. This is from uh, Frederick Bachman. Bitterness can be corrosive. It can rewrite your memories as if it were scrubbing a crime scene clean until in the end, you only remember what suits you of its causes. And that's exactly what Esau did. He only remembered, he took it. No, you gave it. You made the choice. Now, I see. Circumstances weren't great, I admit it, but he made the choice. This lesson of the power of bitterness is a theme in the following teaching in the book of Hebrews, which Esau is mentioned in. Uh, which, and this, this teaching in Hebrews is building on having Jesus be our centerpiece, our model, and our leader. It begins with our need to be subject to God's discipline so we can be receivers of God's grace. Rick, that sounds like a mathematical equation. Subject to discipline equals receiving God's grace. Exactly. And we have to put ourselves in that position. So, Jonathan, let's go to Hebrews 12, verses 7 through—let's start with 7 through 11. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness." So discipline is there for a reason. It's, it doesn't seem happy and fun, but it yields peaceable fruits of righteousness. Now here's the thing. To be open to God's discipline is to be in line for his grace, just like your equation from before, Jonathan. Bitterness, here's what bitterness does. Bitterness naturally redirects the openness to discipline as it deflects blame. So it's hard to be disciplined for something you say, well, yeah, it wasn't my fault. He took my birthright. See, you can't be disciplined for that because you're not accepting the, the reality of your role. So the disciplines that God gives us, needs us need us to accept the reality of our role in them, and bitterness gets in the way of that. So bitterness actually keeps us from growing in Christ. That's really what happens. It gets right in the way. So in other words, if we're being treated unfairly, but that's part of God's providence, that it's an experience we need to go through, here we're bitter and it's taking us in the wrong direction instead of being rightly exercised by it. Exactly. Is that what you mean? Yeah. So yes, maybe you are have been treated unfairly. It doesn't mean that you don't stand up to whatever your role is in this and grow from it and through it to let 
the bitterness be the thing that rules you for the rest of your life is to stand out of the grace of God and in the grip of bitterness. It's just that simple. Let's go back to Hebrews 12, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Rick, when I read these verses, I take them personally, and I can see how the Lord in my life has metaphorically taken my limbs out of joint to make me realize I'm going in the wrong direction. That's what a loving father does. But I know we're looking at a bigger lesson here. And, you know, I see this where it says hands that hang down and feeble knees. That sounds a lot like discouragement Mm -hmm. and just being plain old tired. And I think we're more susceptible to bitterness when we're stressed out and burned out. We are. We are. And and this verse is a very personal verse, but also I think it has to do with us being contributory to those around us. Focusing on the strengthening of the weak members of the body is an exercise that directly focuses us on being better and making others better. And there's no room for bitter when you're working on being better. Do this and there's no room for bitterness to grow. We want to be a part of something that's moving forward. And the discipline of God helps us to move forward. But folks, if we, if we, if we relax in the bitterness that might be a knee-jerk reaction, we don't use the discipline of the Father for its intended use. And so what we're doing is we're wasting God's time with us. We're wasting his time with us because we're not using what he's giving us. Continue in Hebrews 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. So what does that mean, sanctification with our relationships? I know sanctified means set apart, but what's the point here? Well, it says pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. We have to be sanctified, acting as someone who's set apart for God's holy purpose in every part of our lives. And if you are actually living the role of being a set-apart individual, representing God, you have no right to be bitter, because God's purposes don't include bitterness. So by pursuing being set apart for God's holy purpose, we have to, by nature, let go of the bitterness. You can't hold on to being sanctified and being bitter. The two don't work together. They are contrary to one another. One is going to overcome the other. The question is, are you going to let the bitterness overcome the sanctification, which is pretty easy, or are you going to work for the sanctification to overcome the bitterness? So so by trying to pursue peace whenever possible, we are going to avoid unnecessary contention that could lead to bitterness. Right, right. Right, because we're not creating it, because we're trying to rise above it. That's what Jesus did. Let's go to another one of our bitterness test questions. Am I leaving behind me a trail of failed or damaged relationships? So one of the things bitterness does is it obscures our ability to maintain good relationships. And now every meaningful relationship we have is going to have conflict at some point. And how we handle it is going to either keep that relationship alive or it's going to fall away. Now, a bitter person will often leave behind a trail of these failed relationships. Oh, yeah, I used to be friends with that girl, but she's just no good. Or, yeah, I don't talk to that family member anymore. And if everyone around us is no good, are we the common denominator? We got to ask ourselves. And if most of the people we're close to are those we've only known a short time, 
Bitterness might be an issue. Yeah, it could be a very, very large and disturbing issue, as a matter of fact. So we need to we need to relook at this. We have another scriptural focus. All disciples are equal before God. Romans 14, 10 and 11. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So the idea is to realize that in our lives, all are equal before God. The brotherhood is all the same before God. Who am I to judge that brother? Maybe that brother or sister hurt me. Maybe they did, and maybe it was a legitimate hurt. But do I hold that and harbor that and build my life around that? Or do I look at them through the eyes of the scripture that says, why do I judge my brother? Because he stands before God. If I'm pursuing that sanctification we just talked about, I need to let go and let God. Really, you have to do that. Otherwise, bitterness will sink your spirituality. It'll just, it'll sink it, it'll drown it in its, in its own self-serving wallowing. And we just don't want to be there. Okay, Rick, let's get back to Hebrews 12, 15 through 17. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it may be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Well, bitterness here is associated with not appreciating the grace of God. That makes it a significant issue we need to deal with. You know, that really puts it front and center. If we are, you know, going against the grace of God, wow, we're in a world of hurt. So there's a reason that bitterness here is likened to a root. It's well established long before it shows itself. And to the bitter person, think about it. The injustices of the past are just as fresh today as the day they occurred. The roots grow deeper and the roots grow thicker. And, you know, you got you to gotta ask yourself about that, because, Julie, that's a really important point. Do I remember the great blessings of my life just as though they happened the way I remember the great difficulties of my life just as though they happened? Which ones are more vivid in my memory? And if it's the bitterness and the anger and all of those things, then I have to question, what is my thinking built upon? Because we need to reassess that and relearn that. And Jonathan, I think we need another scriptural focus here. That's what we need. Oh, we do. We need it from Peter. Um, and it's be consumed with fervent love for one another, First Peter 4, 8 and 9. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. What an amazing lesson from Peter that love is above all. He learned from his mistakes, such as denying the Lord three times. Remember, Jesus asked him, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So love covers a multitude of sins. And, you know, he says, keep fervent in your love for one another. In other words, don't love, love for one another should be active and burning and energized. Because you know what? Bitterness is quietly burning and energized. And to counteract it, we have to have fervent love. It has to be on fire. Otherwise, it's just lip service, and we can't tolerate that. Because bitterness is too big, too deep, 
too hard a problem to see because it's a root that's buried. Learning to be better, not bitter. Jonathan, what do we have? Bitterness likes darkness, and it will focus us on an it's-his-fault approach to our issues. Now our anger can secretly and more easily grow without inhibition within us. This bitterness root now has a stronghold in our hearts and will naturally grow towards defiling others. We cannot possibly grow in Christ if our hearts are growing in bitterness. And blaming everybody else gives us the right and even the justification to be angry. We give permission for bitterness to take root, and it might very well be their fault, but they are imperfect and struggling too. And with Jesus, it really was their fault. He was misaligned, disrespected. He was in a trap at every turn. And what did he do? Uh, well, he loved them enough to die for them. Yeah, I mean, you and, and that, that's it. That, that's the mic drop moment in this whole thing. That's our example. That's what we need to be doing here and now. You know, it's scary to think how deeply and how firmly bitterness can be burrowed into our hearts. Only God's grace can save us. Is it possible to have bitterness develop when you aren't holding a grudge against anyone? It's a good question. It seems odd to think about bitterness without thinking about a target for its reactions. Remember, the Bible defines bitterness essentially as poison when it comes to describing the human reaction. What this tells us is that we can have this poisonous reaction to our circumstances even if no one outside of our own thinking has caused it. And this makes bitterness an even bigger problem because what we're saying is you don't need to have the bad guy in your life. You can have bitterness, according to Scripture, without somebody having done something to you. So pay close attention here as we unfold this next point. Julie, what is it? Okay, so this is our fourth and final point with this vivid New Testament example of the rotten poison that bitterness is. This is the story of Simon the magician who came to Christianity through Philip, And it's a very unique example of scriptural bitterness. As his story unfolds, we're going to see, Rick, just like you said, his his bitterness wasn't actually directed towards anyone. We'll pick up the story in Acts 8, 9 through 13. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. Now, this man, and you know, we, we talked about him last week in our podcast, but we're looking at this from a very different perspective today. He's a showman, and he's got the people eating out of his hand. I mean, life has been good for a long time. He's called the great power of God, and he's astonishing the people, and the people in droves are coming to him to see the magic and the wonders that he can perform. This man is on top of his game right here and right now. Back to Acts chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. So this is good. Philip shows up and he's got, of course, the real miracles of God and the real message of real salvation, all due to the real man, Christ Jesus. And Simon believes, and he's just as amazed by Philip as the people who had been of him. So, so far, so good. We don't see any evidence of bitter roots growing in the darkness. On the contrary, 
He's a believer. Wonderful. It is. It is wonderful. You say, okay, this is a great conversion here. The end. Not no. quite. Not quite. Okay. Peter, the apostle Peter arrives in town and lays his hands on some to give them the Holy Spirit. And this brings up a whole different issue, and it's Peter who is going to now have to deal with Simon's reaction to this. So go ahead, Jonathan. Back to the story, Acts 8, 18 and 19. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. All right, so here is where the story goes south. Simon was a businessman at heart. Remember, he was the showman. He had the people eating out of his hands. He was very calculating in how he handled the crowd. He sees these miracles as astonishing, and they, they, they are because they're actual miracles. There's no, there's no sleight of hand here. This is actual miracles happening. He saw the bestowing of the Holy Spirit by which the miracles could occur. Now, he saw that as a goldmine. Miracles were great, but what if I could have the power to give others the power to do the miracles? I would be the great power of God, just like I used to be. See, he sees this in a business businessman's, he's got dollar signs in his eyes, you know, like the old cartoons. This is what he wants to have the power to give. Is this bitterness? Yes. Yes, it is. But not in the normal sense that we would think, because he's not bitter against anybody. He's just seeing an opportunity. But here's what the apostle Peter tells him. Acts 8, 20 and 21. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Well, Rick, this sounds like the prosperity gospel. It produces poison, takes what is sacred, and pollutes it. And in this case, even one part per billion is too much. Yeah, and, and this, is a, a, this is a very, very pointed statement by the apostle. You thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. So he is taking Simon's businessman-like acumen and saying, no, not here, not in Christianity, no, it just doesn't belong. Peter reveals that the bitterness, remember bitterness is poison, the bitterness, the poison within Simon has to do with the willingness to use a gift of God for profit. This is blatant sin as that which is sacred should never, ever be used for personal gain. Let's read verses 22 and 23. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. And notice Peter called it the intention of your heart. Because bitterness is a sin of attitude, an evil thought felt in the heart that requires forgiveness. So this poison that was in the heart of Simon wasn't against somebody, but it was a poison that was essentially against God Almighty himself. That's what it was, because it was taking the sacred gifts of God to misuse them for personal gain. And Peter says, you are in the gall of bitterness. Let's take a moment and define this, because frankly, it's kind of gross, and that makes the point. Jonathan, Albert Barnes has a good comment on what it means in the gall. 
This word denotes properly bile or that bitter yellowish green fluid that is secreted in the liver. Hence, (laughs) Hence, it means anything very bitter and also any bad passion of the mind as anger, malice, etc. Okay, so it's in the gall, in that yellowish green fluid secreted by the liver. And then, yes. uh, then he goes on and continues, the gall of bitterness. Julie, what is uh, Albert Barnes' comment there? So of bitterness, it's a Hebrew expression meaning excessive bitterness. Uh, the phrase is used respecting idolatry, referring back to Deuteronomy 29.18, that says, lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. And a similar expression occurs in Hebrews 12.15, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, etc. Sin is thus represented as a bitter or poisonous thing, a thing not only unpleasant in its consequence, but ruinous in its character, as a poisonous plant would be in the midst of other plants. Well, that's a great analogy. It is. And so when we look at bitterness in this perspective, what we're seeing is it doesn't have to do with anybody else. It came from Simon's own heart, his own way of living life. And because of that, he was off. And Peter announced to him, you have no part in this Christianity because you are not of a mind to truly accept Christ. So this is a serious serious accusation that Peter lays out for Simon. And Simon has actually a very serious and actually, I think, a very good response to that, Jonathan. That's right. Let's conclude our story in Acts eight twenty four. But Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So now he's afraid. Okay, you can see Simon is afraid because he's seen the legitimacy of the miracles and the Holy Spirit and the power of the Apostle Peter and all of these things. And he's saying, wait, 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 you, you pray for me. Okay, so he's realizing that I'm a mess. You're not. You can talk to God. He's going to listen to you, not me. So he says a lot here in these very few words. He seems to have been taken by surprise. And, and, and see, he did not understand the depth and the seriousness of following Jesus. He believed in Jesus gladly because he saw something big and wonderful, but he didn't understand the sacredness of belief, the sacredness of what Christianity was. And too often in our world, we don't understand the sacredness of Christianity. And that is a form of bitterness against God, is really what it boils down to. So Simon had three things that we just want to point out here. First, Simon had too much self-confidence and very little God-confidence. He had too much pride in his talent and no true awe of God and his gifts. And he was inevitably self-centered and not really God-centered. And see, when you take these things and you put them together, you realize that Simon saw the things and the way Christianity was working in those early days, and he saw them as a wonderful opportunity for himself. He's like, whoa, This could make what I used to do be just so much better. I could just really, really capitalize if I could just get this ability to give this Holy Spirit thing so other people could do these great things, because these are all great things, and I could be in charge. And he just was lost in that self-centeredness. Well, Rick, everyone is damaged goods. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, positively and For Simon, we don't know what the final result was for Simon. The scriptures don't tell us, but we do know that the Apostle Peter made it very clear what is acceptable before God and what is not acceptable before God. And to have poison in our hearts 
when we come to God through Christ, is not acceptable before God. Now, if we come there with that poison, okay, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to work to drain it away, to, to, to remove it, to replace it with goodness, or are you going to use it as a tool? That's what bitterness is. We, it has to be eradicated. We have to take it out of our lives. So, Jonathan, learning to be better, not bitter, our final point. For us, the lesson is to always realize that whenever we take for granted the grace, providence, and spirit of God, we are being bitter towards him. We are making the heavenly power of his presence in our lives to look like a common trick or illusion, something entertaining, but of no lasting value. And that is a very, very strong statement to say that when we take for granted the grace and providence of God, we're really looking at it like a trick, like an illusion. If we are not truly accepting it as the way God is directing our lives, and we're, we're, we're misusing the greatest gifts that we could ever be given. So when we look at this whole thing with bitterness and, and how it permeates so many parts of lo- our lives, we need to realize that we need to get ourselves out of the way and into a frame of thinking that says it has to be God first. Jonathan, our final scripture, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So folks, as we wrap this up, bitterness exists in our lives. We're imperfect and we all have it somewhere, somehow lurking underneath the surface. The question is, Do you feel like you need to dig and find it, or are you content to just let it be there? Well, because it's really not so bad. Really? Really? It is. We need to root it out. We've seen several examples of scriptures to show us that with bitterness comes godlessness. As we seek to root bitterness out, then we become more and more godly. Each of us has a choice every day as to what we do. Take bitterness understand it, change what you do, change what you say, change what you think, so you can rise above such things and honor God with not only your words, but your thoughts and actions as well. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channel, such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Podbean, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts, please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, Is God Happy With My Attitude? Part 1. Is God happy with my attitude? Talk to you then.